You've survived another week. This week, I'm introducing a new format, new features, and voices from the gun community. This is episode 534 with Philip Smith, president and founder of the National African American Gun Association, introducing a survivor of a shooting incident in the criminal justice system, the guy called the Santa Shooter, Marcus A. Weldon. Training tips resume with our Army veteran from MW Tactical, Michael J. Woodland. Our history segment talks about the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, also known as SNCC, and how it's similar to what's happening today. All this and more coming up next. This is the podcast of the Black Gun Movement, amplifying the voices, sharing American history, firearms training, information, and knowledge. And I'm your host, Reverend Ken Blanchard, a Marine Corps veteran, a former federal police officer, a firearms trainer, former CIA officer, a published author, and now podcaster. I'm the founder of the 10th Cavalry Gun Club. I've lobbied and testified before the United States Congress, Texas, South Carolina, Wisconsin, Michigan, Virginia, and Maryland for an individual right of self-defense. I've been doing this thing since 1991, and they call me the black man with a gun. Welcome to the show. All right, the show is still for the cool people in the gun community, but I'm just making a few changes here to make sure that I bring in some heroes, some people who are making a difference in the urban community. You know, there are over a dozen stars throughout the nation that are doing some great stuff. And with their permission, I plan to be the podcast of the people celebrating, sharing and amplifying what they're doing. You know, when I started this thing back in 1991, not the podcast, but the gun rights activism, there was no social media. I was by myself. And over time, I kind of grew weary in the battle. But now I can help further the cause. We spend a lot of money and a lot of time chasing influencers to spread our messages. We try to get celebrity endorsements, funding and acknowledgement. When in fact, a lot of us are the celebrities. And these guys and ladies are doing some valiant work. And I want to share it. People like my longtime friend, Rick Ector of Legally Armed in Detroit. You know, he overcame a stroke recently. There's a new founder of the National African-American Gun Association, Philip Smith, and I got him to agree to come on once a week. That's going to be cool. And I personally want to support and encourage um, brothers like Marge Torre of Black Guns Matter. Coleon Noir, who you know has his own cable show and been doing great in his own right. Don't need me at all, but I'm just happy to support the brother anyway. We got survivor Marcus Allen Weldon, known as the Santa Shooter. Going to help him broadcast his messages too. He's going to help us with the criminal justice piece. There's a lot of folks who are behind the eight ball, so to speak. Um, they got in some trouble back in the day or they're not really sure about the law or they're wondering what happens if you actually get in a shooting incident. Marcus is going to be our authority there. We got friends like Hank Strange and Lola Strange, writers and people like Argo J, political commentators, activists and campus carry crusader Antonia Akafor. My friend and brother Tony Simon from uh, New Jersey, who's working again with my buddy from Guns for Hire Radio. You got Rhonda Yazelle out of Chicago, who was a plaintiff in a lot of stuff that's happening up there. I'm going to amplify these voices, and I'm going to try, try, try to amplify and have regular features from leaders showing the diversity of the shooting sports that no one has heard about. I'm going to share American history training tips, and product reviews and interviews with newsmakers here. Where there is unity, there is strength. 
This portion of the show is sponsored by CrossbreedHolsters.com. Crossbreed Holsters has gained national recognition as a maker of the best and most functional concealment holsters available on the market today. Each holster is handcrafted to ensure your firearm is safe and secure while carrying, combined with the best customer service in the industry. Visit CrossbreedHolsters.com. Next up is my friend, Michael J. Woodland. Welcome back, Ken. Hope you enjoyed your time off as I did. Cool, man. What you been up to? I actually relaxed and hung out at the range some and spent some quality time with the little one for some time. Well, here we go. And today we're going to discuss taking it out of your comfort zone. How many of us actually go to the range and only practice shooting standing in one spot or only aiming at one target? Do you actually push yourself out of your comfort zone to know what that uncomfortable moment feels like? Most importantly, you do not want to meet that feeling when you will depend on that skill set the most. If you are one who only goes to shoot but do not practice real applications, start now. Do drills while moving and stationary, shooting around objects, shooting for time, but get creative and push yourself. Last week, I had the opportunity to go shooting with some friends and, like always, some form of a challenge was made. Since I felt the challenge was too easy for me, I one-upped it and said I would do it with one hand. Of course, my two other friends decided to do the same thing. Like always... I gave the plea to take a few warm-up shots to observe their position with shooting one-handed. After what I observed, it was my decision to give a class on shooting with one hand. Don't get me wrong, not every time you go to the range, you should push yourself to the limit. But in my opinion, if you push yourself to the limit and scale it back, now you just set a new standard for yourself to master before doing it again. Take the time to understand your intent, know the status of your weapon system and conditions around you, and get some good quality practice in. Trust me, you will see improvements over the course of time. Until next week, keep the finger pull level and your sight picture steady. If you haven't done so, visit us on the M-W Tactical Facebook page and hit the like button and share your firearm thoughts and suggestions with us. If you would like to stay in touch with the information we put on Twitter, follow us at M underscore W Tactical. If you want to see the pictures of our adventures on and off the range, follow us on Instagram at Munitions Weapons Tactical. If you would like to read more about us and see what and where we will be next, visit www.m-wtactical.com and stay informed. If you want to just ask a question or just send us a note, you can either by calling 803-250-1256, leave a message, and we will return your call, or just email us at info at m-wtactical.com. Until next week, keep shooting, keep practicing, and have fun. Back to you, Ken. All right, Big Mike, thank you for getting me back in the groove. And now, as promised, here's our first installment from my new friend and yours. 
Hi, everyone. This is Philip Smith from the National African American Gun Association. I'm the national president and founder. Our organization was founded in February 28th of 2015. We have since then went from just myself to about 20,000 members in just over two years. We're in every state. We have members uh, at this particular time. And we have over 42 chapters uh, in a lot of the states throughout the United States. So we're we're growing very organically. Uh, this is with no advertising and just by word of mouth, which is a really good thing. Um, and you can find us on Facebook, obviously. Um, the reason for me making the statements and speaking to you guys today, I want everyone to know about our organization. We are a very inclusive pro-Second Amendment organization based and built for African Americans for the first time in the U.S. Our organization's total focus is to educate our community, teach them about firearms in a legal and proper manner uh, so they can know about guns, the various types of guns, what type of guns have different recoils, um, the various gun laws that are uh, different from state to state depending on where you live. Um, and as well, we want them to have a place where they can feel uh, it's a home. It's some place you can go to vent, some place you can learn to educate yourself, just a place where you can call your own. And we definitely feel we um, fill that particular void. Now, what makes us different? As I said before, it doesn't matter where you're from, how you voted, what you look like, who you sleep with, um, what your religious background is, you're welcome. In fact, I prefer someone with a different background. It doesn't make sense to have a whole bunch of folks that look like you, that talk like you, and only say the things that you want to hear. That's not progress, and that certainly is not a, a good way to um, build an organization here in the United States, which is probably the, the most diverse country in the face of the planet. So we'd like to definitely reflect that that cultural mix in terms of what we're about and the views that we uh, we accept, which are, which are all. Um, I want to talk about discussion and learning how to hear someone out, because I think that's something that has been lost in our in our present uh, country. Um, socially right now, it, it, it seems to be very toxic when you have folks from either side throwing stuff at each other. What I'd like to do and what I think our folks have been really uh, good at doing thus far at the National African American Gun Association, otherwise known as NAGA or NAG, depending on how you like to, to call it, um, is that we listen. Uh, we try to learn about that particular person's background, how he or she came to that particular mindset or belief in terms of firearms, um, there are no them against us and us against them. It's just all we. And uh, if you sit down at the table and you hear someone that has a conversation that is, you know, you're really opposed to it. You, quite frankly, you, you're just upset in hearing it. What we try to do is listen and in, 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 in the total aspect of, of the conversation. And then after hearing everything that you've heard, ask questions. How did you come to that decision? How did you come to that particular belief? Um, why is it that you think firearms are this way or that way? Um, that opens up the dialogue, hopefully. Um, we try to talk to people as opposed – talk with people as opposed to talking to people. Um, and that's, I think, some of the successes that our organization has been able to do thus far. We're very, very sensitive to respecting one another, and uh, that's the reason why we have over a 1,000 uh, law enforcement officers of African-American descent. And otherwise, um, we have a very – um, diverse population outside. Obviously, we're you know predominantly African American, but we also have white, black, uh, Asian, Latino, gay, straight. You name it, our organization has it, and I think that speaks volumes when our message is universal and goes out 
side of our community where those folks can hear it and certainly like uh, what they're what they're being uh, told based on our organization's belief and in some in some cases our dogma. So that's what we're about. I hope we uh, have reached out to some of you, and, and this will be a weekly podcast with Ken. Feel free to go to our website again, which is www.naaga.co. And uh, if you have any questions, please re- reach out to me directly at president at naga.co. And certainly look forward to uh, talking and hearing from all of you out there uh, on the radio. Thank you. I am really happy to have Mr. Smith on board and uh, sharing what's happening with NAAGA. Because, hey, it's not about me anymore. It's a movement, baby. It's about us. This portion of the show is brought to you by the United States Concealed Carry Association. The USCCA has been providing education, training, and self-defense insurance to responsibly armed Americans since 2003. Join Tim Schmidt and myself here at usconcealedcarry.com. The Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, 1960 to 1973, also known as SNCC. On February 1st, 1960, four black college students in Greensboro, North Carolina, demanded service at a Woolworth lunch counter. When was the last time you've been to a Woolworth? When the staff refused to serve them, they stayed until the store closed. In the following days and weeks, this sit-in idea spread across the South. At first, several hundred and then several thousand students participated in protest against this form of segregation. Segregation, the act or practice of segregating, a setting apart or separation of the people or things from others or from the main body or group. Segregation, it was an institutional thing done to separate ethnic, racial, religious, and other minority groups from the dominant majority. The term refers to the physical separation and provision of so-called separate but equal facilities, which were separate but rarely equal, as well as to other manifestations of racial discrimination, such as separation of roles within an institution. For example, in the United States Armed Forces before 1950s, black units were typically separated from white units, but were led by white officers. Signs were used to show non-whites where they could legally walk, talk, drink, rest, or eat. Segregated facilities extended from white-only schools to white-only graveyards. Legal segregation of schools was stopped in the U.S. by federal enforcement of a series of Supreme Court decisions after Brown v. Board of Education in 1954. All legally enforced public segregation was abolished by the Civil Rights Act of 1964. But let me go back to SNCC. That was just a little bit of history. So let me go back. To support and coordinate this spontaneous movement, Ella Baker, a National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, also known as the NAACP official, called a conference at Shaw University in Raleigh, North Carolina, from April 16th to the 18th, 1960. It was there that the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee was founded. Its first chairman was Nashville, Tennessee college student and political activist Marion Berry, who later became the mayor of Washington, D.C., Although SNCC, as it became known, continued its efforts to desegregate lunch counters through nonviolent confrontations, it only had modest success. In May 1961, SNCC expanded its focus to support local efforts in voter registration as well as public accommodations desegregation. 
The high point of his efforts came in 1964 with the Mississippi Summer Project, which became popular as, or known as, Freedom Summer. Hundreds of black and white college students volunteered, joined Mississippi SNCC workers and local civil rights activists in a bold campaign to register thousands of black voters across the state for the first time. The effort drew national attention, particularly when three SNCC workers, James E. Cheney of Mississippi, Michael H. Swarner, and Andrew Goodman of New York were killed by white supremacists. During the fall and winter of 1964 and 65, SNCC went through a period of internal upheaval, becoming more radically and increasingly anti-white. One result of this development was the replacement of a chairman by the name of John Lewis by Stokey Carmichael in May 1966. You may know the name John Lewis because he is still around. He is a U.S. representative for Georgia's 5th Congressional District, serving since 1987. The dude has been around a long time. 77 years old, he is career politician. I'm going to stop right there. Here's a name you don't hear that often, but back then you did a lot. His name was Stokely Carmichael. Changed his name to Kwame Torre. Was a Trinidadian American who became a prominent figure in the civil rights movement and the global Pan-African movement. He grew up in the U.S., was born in Port of Spain, Trinidad and Tobago, and uh, became an activist while attending Howard University. He passed away in 1998. Kwame Torre. As I said in the beginning, in the beginning, they were white and black activists, but they soon began to leave. The white guys did. And this trend increased when Hubert Rapp Brown, a radical and controversial advocate for black armed self-defense, became leader of SNCC in May 1967. One year later, Rapp Brown led SNCC into a public alliance with the Black Panther Party. Although this alliance lasted only until July 1969, the damage done was irreparable. With the expulsion of whites, SNCC, their annual income, dropped sharply. Local direct action grassroots projects were scaled back. By 1970, SNCC had lost all of its 130 or so employees and most of his branches. And then finally, in December of 1973, SNCC ceased to exist as an organization. Now, I told you that H. Rap Brown succeeded Stokely Carmichael as chairman of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And he was also a prominent figure in the Black Panther Party, a leading proponent of black power and a polarizing media icon. Brown symbolized both the power and the dangers for white Americans and for radical activists themselves of the civil rights movement's new militancy in the late 1960s. H. Rap Brown, born in 1943 and raised in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. In 1960, he joined the Nonviolent Action Group and moved to Washington, D.C. Nonviolent Action Group was short for NAG at the time. In 1964, he became NAG chairman. His activities with NAG soon drew him to SNCC, which was then engaged in voter registration drives in the Deep South. Brown distinguished himself quickly as a charismatic leader and effective organizer. He was appointed director of voter registration for the state of Alabama in 1966 and, of course, replaced Carmichael as national chairman a year later. As a SNCC chairman, Brown's rhetoric proved more militant and inflammatory than even Carmichael's. At the same time, like Carmichael, he struggled to translate SNCC's vision into concrete terms and programs. In large part, this was due to a paralyzing barrage of criminal charges leveled or levied by federal and state officials from inciting a riot in Cambridge, Maryland, to violating the National Firearms Act, to illegally crossing state lines, to skipping bail. During his firearms trial in 1970, Brown disappeared for 17 months and was placed on FBI's 10 Most Wanted list. 
In the late 1971, he reemerged after being arrested on armed robbery charges in Manhattan, New York. Convicted on that last charge, and Brown served five years in Attica. While in prison, Brown embraced Islam and changed his name to Jamil Abdullah al-Amin. Following his release, he settled in Atlantic, Georgia, where he started a mosque and operated a small grocery store and community center. Seemingly removed from the firestorms of his youth, al-Amin's life took another dramatic turn in 2000 when he was charged with murdering a black police officer and injuring his partner in a gun battle outside of al-Amin's store. Despite some controversy surrounding the evidence, Al-Amin was convicted in 2002 and is currently serving a life sentence. Oh, and I think I forgot to tell you that SNCC actually changed his name to the Student National Coordinating Committee to reflect its broadening of his strategies, which were, which helped it end in the 70s. I'm asking you a question right now. I'm going to pause for a second. Does, do you think a person can change? Sounds easy, right? If you start off one way, will you continue on that path? We'd like to know your thoughts on that. History also tells us that people started off one way and ended up another. There are some similarities right now with the 60s and our gun movement right now. There are lots, a lot more gun rights activists of color than there ever have been. And there's also a small segment that is actually attacking the National Rifle Association other pro-gun people, black and white, and trying their darndest to start something. I'm not quite sure what. In my library is a book of quotations from Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that was printed in 1968. The book is yellowing with age, but has some nuggets like this one. Dr. King said, Negroes are human, not superhuman. Like all people, they have differing personalities. Diverse financial interests and varied aspirations. There are Negroes who will never fight for freedom. There are Negroes who will seek profit for themselves alone from the struggle. There are even some Negroes who will cooperate with their oppressors. These facts should distress no one. Every minority in every people has its share of opportunists, profiteers, freeloaders, and escapists. The hammer blows of discrimination, poverty, and segregation must warp and corrupt some. No one can pretend that because a people may be oppressed, every individual member is virtuous and worthy. The real issue is whether in the great mass, the dominant characteristics are decency, honor, and courage. If you're listening to this show, you're probably a leader. Yeah, you are. Even if you lead no one but yourself and your family. You're one of the cool people in this community. All leaders should study history. You can't possibly know where you are or where you're going if you don't know where you've been. Studying history is important because it allows us to understand our past, which in turn allows us to understand our present. There is nothing new under the sun. We just kind of mix and match the best and the worst parts of it all. If you want to know how and why our world is the way it is today, you'll find the answer in our history. People sometimes say that history repeats itself. But if you study the successes and failures of the past, you can actually learn from your mistakes and avoid repeating those in the future. Studying history can provide you with insight into our cultures of origin, as well as cultures with which we might be less familiar. And that's why I give it to you here. All history here is American history for all Americans. Truth be told, nobody's history is pretty. It all has some warts, some scars. Some things that we've learned, some things that we've done that we've got away with. 
that we hope we don't repeat. Can I get an amen, somebody? Up next, a new contributor. Don't let him introduce himself to you himself. Some of you may have heard of the Santa Claus shooter. That's me. New York Times, 2014. Local media sensation as well as national news. I then witnessed prosecutor misconduct. My name is Marcus Wilden, single father, hard worker, and grew up on the east side of Detroit. That's right, a city with a bad reputation for violence and crime. A city that carries such negative stereotypes. I've always took pride in my city. I wanted to show the opposite of the negative stereotype that was pretty much given to the city through mass media. There's so many good people left here. I knew within myself that I could be an example. Throughout my 29 years of life, I've attempted to change that stereotype, setting the best example I can for the youth, which is our future. My life changed when I had my daughter. When her mother came to a drug and alcohol addiction, I had to step up, step up and be the father and the mother. I had good friends who were murdered in the streets of Detroit, carjacked, fell in the line of the statistics that so many others do. Just another body in a cemetery. The young age, potential gone. I was motivated to do something different, change that paradigm of the urban stereotype, change the paradigm of black culture in the hood. My environment was not me. I was not a product of my environment. At least I thought I was. So many times as a youngster, you would get caught up and follow the footsteps of so many others, your peers, peer pressure. I had my father and father and my mother. Still, peer pressure was still the most influential in my life. Although I made it out of high school, through a large amount of college, complete multiple associate degrees, and finished up my bachelor's a little bit later than I expected. Three, four licenses under my belt, became a building engineer, electrical engineer. There's still so much of life that I had to discover. Sometimes bad things happen that wake you up and expose you to so much things that you had never been exposed to. Unless that certain bad thing had happened. You can find out more about me, more about my case, just by Googling my name and checking out my new book, The Santa Claus Shooter, Guilty to Proven Innocent. Look forward to working and speaking with so many of you, working with my mentor, Ken Blanchard, on Black Man with a Gun. Stay tuned. Book available on Amazon. Also my website, MarcusWeldon.com. Follow me on Facebook, Marcus Allen Weldon. Follow me on Instagram. Marcus Allen Weldon. Now you know who Marcus A. Weldon is. Look forward to hearing from him in the future. Got a gun review for you next. All right, my gun review this week is the Smith & Wesson 357 Magnum J-frame uh, revolver called a bodyguard. And if you've never seen a... Uh, a gun review done by audio only. You're in for a treat because I'm going to try to do this every once in a while. If you actually want to see the firearm, I will do a YouTube video next time I'm at the range. And in the meantime, you can go to Instagram, Black Man With Gun, and you'll see the pictures of it there. But this is kind of going to be like if you and I were on the telephone and you said, hey, man, I just picked up this gun. What do you think? So that's how come you get the audio this way. Now, this gun, anything that says a six on a number for a Smith & Wesson is stainless. And stainless is always good for perspiration resistance, uh, long-term wear, that kind of thing. When I was in the Central Intelligence Agency and our agents were doing protective details, 
all the high-speed, low-drag dudes at the time carried an airweight five-shot revolver when we were wearing tuxes and at social events. Back then, before Smith & Wesson or before anybody was even pushing uh, semi-automatic firearms, we had the airweights. We had these five-shot bad boys. Um, it was different from this one even then. This one's heavy. This one can take a, take a beating. And that's the reason why I asked Smith & Wesson, can I review it? I figured there was no big rush for it. Everybody was still into old polymers. So I went old school and said, hey, let me check out what you got. And they were happy to send me this bad boy. This thing's heavy. 22 ounces. Five-shot revolver. Still good to conceal. Um, what's so good about a snub-nosed two-inch barrel firearm? Well, when you need one, it's there. The name, Smith & Wesson, no joke, been around since forever. When your life is on the line, you want quality crap. I'm just telling you that right off the bat. There's a lot of new stuff out here, but when your life is on the line, I don't I don't negotiate or I don't go back to, I want to be cool. If I need a fork, I want a fork. So, some people get caught up on trends and gimmicks, and I'm not that kind of guy. I'm a functional person. This thing has a, a hammer shroud. It means you can actually use this thing in single action like you would an old school revolver, but it's made so that you could actually tuck it in your pocket, tuck it in your suit, tuck it in a waistband holster, and pull it out, shoot it through the bad boy, and it will work when it's supposed to. Snub nose. Came out um, originally in the 50s, like 55, and it's a double action revolver. I shot my bag of rounds through it. I got a bag that's as old as his gun. Um, and it shot everything pretty good. It has fixed sights, which means you're not going to be shooting your 100-yard shot with this revolver. It's old school, but it's a popular small frame defensive revolver and is backed by Smith & Wesson's lifetime service policy, which you can't beat with a stick. So, stainless steel frame, barrel and cylinder, enclosed hammer, rated for continuous plus P use, which is a plus for me. I want to be able to beat my gun. I don't want to have it um, just for a little while and then it dies and I have to replace it. So I'm looking for long-term wear and this is what it does. Pictures will be on Instagram and five-shot revolver, 357 Smith & Wesson with a shroud. Funky little um, revolver, looks like a humpback, uh, but it works. And I remember it from back in the day. Black man with a gun, reloaded. Get the inside, the background, wisdom, information, and experiences of Reverend Ken Blanchard, CIA firearms instructor, gun rights activist, that has been involved in this community since 1991. Read about guns, the culture, the community, and the inside stuff behind what you see everywhere else. You can get it firsthand from the guy they call the black man with a gun in his book on Amazon.com. Black man with a gun, reloaded. All right, I want to thank you for listening, downloading, and sharing this podcast. Special shout out to all those on Patreon.com forward slash Black Man with a Gun who have supported this show and are continuing to do so. You're helping me make a difference in our community. And our community is the United States of America. My favorite quote for the week comes again from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who said, Through our scientific genius, 
we have made of the world a neighborhood. Now, through our moral and spiritual genius, we must make of it a brotherhood. Shout out to all who are listening, all those who are members of the National African American Gun Association around the country, to Marcus A. Weldon for being um, so candid and honest about your past, to all the gun rights activists everywhere. This is your friend and your brother from another mother, Reverend Ken Blanchard. And just in case nobody had told you this today, I love you. And there's not a darn thing you can do about it. Until next week, shalom, baby. Until next time, friends. To keep in touch with Ken and his cause, head over to blackmanwithagun.com. This show is part of the Gun Podcast Network, an exclusive group showcasing professional pro-gun podcasts and broadcasters. Hitting our targets 